and welcome to Dungeon Seekers. I'm Mackenzie. And I'm Steve. And he's currently scarred for life. So today we're going to talk about role-playing your abilities. And how things that scar you for life could determine how you play your, your character. I don't know what that has to do with anything. But let's go on ahead and jump in. So... You have your character's ability scores. Uh, you've watched our uh, one of our last episodes on how to get those ability scores. You got it awesome. Did you just say invisibility scores? No, I said ability scores. Okay, sorry. Continue. I heard invisibility. Go. <laughs> so you have your ability <laughs> scores, uh, and you're ready to start playing. So now you have to kind of start thinking about rounding out your character and what's your motivation? Why are you here? Yeah. So this is also something that I covered a little bit when talking about backstories. Um, but there's more to it than just writing a backstory. So. Yeah. And so... and. If you're not that person that is inclined to want to write pages of a backstory, um, you can still get a really good outline or at least, you know, motivations about certain things uh, as far as, you know, what your character needs, wants, what their goals are, what they're afraid of, that kind of thing. Um, because, uh, you know, there was, a, you know, again, because social media and Internet. Um, there's such a huge uh, online community about D&D &D and all these things. Uh, there was a question that was posed that was basically, why, you know, why are all of these D&D &D characters, you know, venturing off? And why are they, why do they have such tragic backstories? Why is it that usually their family is dead or their parents have died or that kind of thing? Because we watch too many Disney movies. But there's that. I was actually thinking that, too. Um but and you know also get the but the two kind of go hand in hand, you know uh, the person who has a perfect life and a good business or you know whatever and that has lived that is you know in that happily ever after mode you know they have no reason to go off delving into a dark cave and trying to fight dragons and undead things and that kind of thing. So I mean, unless they're just bored. Well, yeah, there's that. But you know, um, or unless you know you're a hobbit and a wizard barges in and drags you off onto an adventure. You know, like, there's never really a, a reason for... Magical adventure. Yeah. Sorry. There's never a reason for happy characters to leave. So most of the time, you're going to need some sort of motivation to leave town or to start adventuring in the first place. Um, so you can kind of almost look at that, like, in real life, where, like, every once in a while you like know someone or hear of someone who just like picks up everything and moves to a new place it's not a thing that most people are just gonna do yeah there has to be some kind of motivation behind it whether it's like they heard stories of this place and like something caught their attention or just they're not happy with where they are now yeah um and you know it could be a simple matter of wanderlust it could be uh where you know, they lost a job or they lost a loved one or, you know, they've had or a... Or they're running away from something. Yeah. So, I mean, in real life, you know, and it's again, you know, when you're watching a movie or a TV show, they don't really focus too much on the mundane day-to-day -day stuff. Uh, you know, you come into this person's life at the moment where something is going to change. So you can kind of think of 
D&D is a similar thing, where you've had this character that has had all of these other things that have happened to them in the past that have brought them to this point, that have brought them to this point of they're in this seedy tavern with a bunch of other people that they have no idea who they are, and they decide to go on this epic quest. So the Player's Handbook uh, does a great job of kind of giving you some inspiration uh, and it starts roughly on page 127, uh, where it's, you start to get certain background archetypes. Um, and there are certain things like acolyte, criminal, charlatan, performer, you know, uh, loner, and you know, like those kinds of things that kind of give these certain archetypes of characters. Right. So with those, I mean, depending on how you feel about backstories, you could, you know, create your backstory and then kind of go through those and see, okay, like, what fits my character best as far as, you know, then determining their personality. Because, um, you know, if you already have a backstory, yes, we have their history, but we don't really know them. We just know what they've been through. Yeah. Um, and if you and you can either use you can use this as much or as little as you want. You can use it just as a, a jumping off point. We're looking at examples of personality traits and ideals and that kind of thing. Or you can do it. You know, they actually give you tables that you can just randomly roll dice on and say, "Okay, I roll a d8 and consult the table on your result, and that's your personality trait now." Right. So. Um Again, the player's handbook gives you so much help as far as creating characters. Um, it's just a matter of how much or how little guidance you need, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but typically, it all kind of boils down to certain personality traits, uh, ideals, so maybe convictions or something that they may or may not stick to, um, bonds and flaws. Uh now, as, as much as most of that stuff is important, I think the a lot of times the most important qualities and honestly the most uh, entertaining and the most you know attractive qualities to someone a lot of times are their flaws. Uh, and that holds true, I feel like, for a lot of fictional characters. You know, I feel like, at least myself, I gravitate a lot towards those, um, the characters in literature and TV that are flawed, you know? So kind of think... Uh, Klaus from Umbrella Academy, one of my favorite characters. Oh, I love Klaus. Um, you know, and he has a lot of very heavy and very apparent flaws that he has to deal with. You know, but he's still wonderful. Yeah, but but you yeah, know, that's why we like certain characters. Um, you know, and that is also when you're coming up with your own character, uh, you want to come up with one or two, or maybe even a lot of different catchy and you know hooky flaws that are you know maybe your flaws are what motivate your character um and regardless of whether you want to roll on on the chart or you want to make up make it up on your own your flaws should also be in some way tied to those ability scores um yeah and i know a lot of people who they especially when creating their first character they want them to be perfect they don't want anything to be wrong with their character. And so a lot of times they're like, oh, no, they're strong, they're smart, they're great at everything. That's 
sounds great in theory when you're creating a character, but once you start playing, you're going to realize very quickly that all you've done is create a really flat, boring character. Because yeah. everyone, whether they're obvious or not, everyone has flaws. Um, and so, like, I know when I started creating a character, um, because, again, we knew pretty much nothing about the game at all, um, I was like, okay, well, my character's great at this and this, and I didn't really think about the flaws until we got into the game. Yeah, and it's it's easy to focus on things that you want them to be good at because, you know, you do want them to be good at a couple of things, but you also want them to be bad at stuff. Um, you know, flaws kind of drive the character, and uh, so that's why when you're coming up with those ability scores, yeah, it's not great when you have low ability scores, but also you can kind of see that as an opportunity to pick, you know, put that into one of those stats that you could, s you know, that you then you would have an opportunity to role play that and use that in, in you know, the way that your character uh, is going to act. So we can go through some of these ability scores and say what would happen if you have a really good ability score in that and a really low score. Um, the first couple, I feel, are a little bit more obvious. You know, uh, having a high strength ability score is obviously you're going to be that big burly person. Um, I am not that person. Yeah, I am not strong. <laughs> um, <laughs> or fast. Uh, having a low strength ability score, you know, you are going to be that kind of, you know, weak, you know, think uh, Steve Rogers pre-Captain America, you know, yeah. super super soldier serum. Um, the example that he gives in the player's handbook, of course, high strength usually corresponds with a burly or athletic body, while a character with low strength might be scrawny or even plump. And that's the other thing to think about. You know, you don't have to necessarily think that they are, that they are really super weak and scrawny. Uh, they could just be that maybe their muscles are for show. You know, I, I've known a couple or of different people. Or they're like Samuel Charlie. Yeah, or yeah, yeah, Samuel Tarly or Samwise Gamgee or most other Sams. Um, could be that maybe, you know, round person, not athletic person, um, Baymax. <laughs> um, you know, that, but or you could just be that person that spends a lot of time in the gym but not necessarily uses their muscles for any real effort. And they're, you know, like that bodybuilder guy where they, are, they have muscles but they don't really have any opportunity to use them for any reason. Right. Um, yeah, that pretty much sums up strength. Yeah. Um, dexterity. Dexterity is uh, really interesting because um, you, when a, again, a high dexterity score means that you are you're physically graceful and you have balance and poise. Um, so think like a dancer, just yeah. a, like a real life like example. You would think, you know, a dancer has yeah. high dexterity, a gymnast. Um, yeah, so depending I on the position, a football player. Yeah, football, you know, so maybe like a wide receiver or a running back in football or, you know, someone that's quick and agile uh, as far as they're still athletic and they still have that sort of athleticism. But, you know, when we're talking athletics as far as skills go, athletics is more of a strength-based thing. And this is more of acrobatics, you know, how how nimble and how, you know, kind of quick you are. Right. A low dexterity would be like me, 
Um, I trip over air and walk into walls on a fairly regular basis um, and generally have bruises on my legs and have no idea where they came from, but I probably walked into something. Yeah, and that's... That would also mean that you had a low constitution, too. But yeah, we knew that already. That's, yeah, yeah. Uh, but just not not graceful. Right. I yep. am the definition of not a graceful person. Yeah. Uh, low dexterity, not a graceful person. Right, exactly. And that is, again, that's one of the, that's something that is probably ripe for role playing opportunities, where, especially when you are, you know, trying to do something dexterous, uh, the fact that you, you could get really, really excited if you actually do get a good roll. Um, but then y- if you get an average or below average roll and you're just kind of like, yeah, this is my life. And then, you know, this is kind of expected. Right. Um, and I feel like low dexterity is probably one of the easiest things to role play. Yeah. And it's, you know, this is more of your, you know, kind of uh, slapstick comedy, probably, you know, your. You're bumbling, running into things, falling over stuff. Right. I think know. people are more comfortable with having a low dexterity than some of the other ability scores yeah. just because I feel like they can identify with that more. Because yeah. most people want to think that they're the smartest person in the room or the strongest person in the room. Um, but when it comes to being dexterous, people, I, don't know, I guess they're more... Accepting of the fact that yeah, most people are, are more willing to own up to the fact that they're clumsy than they are stupid. Basically, yeah. Uh, so, uh, your constitution, uh, as far as your ability score goes, if you have a high constitution, um, that also that is more of that internal fortitude, that you know, that inner strength in the sense of, you know, you you don't get sick a lot, or uh, you know, you can go. With, you know, as you know, you can go out drinking, and you know you're a you're a f- you're a lush. That's right. That's the word that you use, right? When you, yes. yeah, you're a lush. Um, you're you an know, Adrian. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know that that kind of thing. Whereas on the opposite side, if you have a low constitution, um, maybe you get sick a lot. Maybe you are squeamish. Uh, maybe you, you know, you can't handle your alcohol or you know other sorts of drugs and that kind of thing. Um, you get winded very easily. Uh, so that's, you know, I think low constitution, especially if you try and think of them as like a squeamish person, a squeamish fighter that like runs away or like gets really awkward around the side of blood could be really fun. Oh, for sure. And I feel like that's another one. Once people kind of understand what the ability entails, I think people a lot of times are also... a. L- Depending on the character they're playing, a little more comfortable with that as well. Um, I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, my character's not afraid of anything. Whereas I've learned that I'm most comfortable playing the characters who are afraid of everything and, like, squeamish and just kind of standoffish. Um, and it it gives a lot of balance to the party because if Everybody in the party is, like, you know, high constitution, ready to jump into any situation. Then you don't really have a voice of reason sometimes, mm-hmm. um, and that can get messy. Yes, yes, it can. Uh, and you know, but the other thing is, 
if you are looking for that kind of optimized character, um, you are going to want high dexterity. You are going to want high constitution because dexterity determines uh, armor class. Sometimes it determines uh, you know initiative rolls, uh, and constitution is going to help you uh, with hit points and that kind of thing. So there are some people that look at dexterity and constitution as saying, well, I don't want a low score in one of those two things because it's going to really hinder me a lot more. But you also do want to see those as opportunities if you're saying, you know what, uh, I've been there, I've done that, I've played the highly optimized character, I want to try something that's a little bit more, uh, you know, actually a little bit more of a regular person in the sense that they do have that flaw of being undexterous or unconstitutionally. Right. I feel like everyone, especially in their first game or two, like they... They want to play a character that's kind of bigger than themselves, like mm -hmm. bigger than real life. Um, but a lot of times you can have a lot of fun just playing like a relatively normal person in a relatively chaotic situation. Um, plus, I feel like a lot of times it's, at least for me, it's easier to role play those characters who are a little more realistic oh yeah absolutely and you know it's it's definitely easier to play a character that's more like you than not um but there's also definitely something where um you know it's easier to play those kinds of things uh as far as having someone if you say you are really graceful it's easy to kind of probably say i'm gonna play a low dexterous person than it is maybe one of these next ability scores coming up where for example, the next one up uh, would be in intelligence. If you, <laughs> whether you'd like to admit it, maybe if you don't necessarily have a high intelligence score in real life, maybe you're not the, the brightest bulb in the box, um, it's probably a little bit harder to play a high intelligence character. Um, whereas the opposite side of having you know someone that is actually very smart play a low intelligence character um that can be really fun uh especially uh you know if everybody outside of the world knows that that person is actually really intelligent and well-spoken um i'm thinking back to uh the first campaign of critical role where uh travis who is like a super eloquent and smart person uh was travis. playing grog Sorry, continue. Who has a low, actually a negative intelligence. And, you know, he's a barbarian, so he doesn't necessarily need a high intelligence. Um, but, you know, when you have a high intelligence, you are going to be well-spoken. You're going to be inquisitive. And you're going to be able to, you know, you have a good memory and that kind of thing. And you're able to kind of do have that common sense, think things through. Um, you know, maybe you're going to be a little bit more pragmatic uh, than a regular person would be. Uh, well, as a low intelligence, you know, you are going to uh, speak slower, maybe. You're going to speak uh, less verbose and with a, you're going to not have as much perspicacity. And, uh, or you might try to use some really big words and not know what they mean. Oh, yeah. There, there's also some... That, you know, and again, that kind of goes back to how you want to play your character, right. whether you want to uh, embrace the low intelligence and just be that, you know, 
the dumb oaf, you know, the big oaf. Uh, or do you want to, like, say, no, but I, I rolled a low intelligence score, but I feel like my character wants to try and feel like he's, you know... Yeah, like, my character thinks that they're smart. Yeah, you totally could play it that, like that, where they're always using big words incorrectly, or, uh, you know, maybe they want to try, you know, their goal in life is to try and learn how to read and write, you know? Um, you know, there's that there's that aspect to it uh, on the other side as well. Right, because if you think about it, I feel like everybody knows someone who isn't very bright, but who thinks that they're very bright. And you can definitely play it like that, where, like... They, I mean, they might have street smarts, they might have high wisdom, but their intelligence just isn't there, but they don't know that. Um, and I feel like that can be a lot of fun as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's someone that thinks When that it's a character. When yeah. it's in real life, <laughs> it's not yeah. quite as much fun, uh, or at least not the same kind of fun, but um, playing a character like that can be a lot of fun. Um but also, I feel like being an intelligent person who's playing a character with low intelligence can also be kind of frustrating mm -hmm. um, because you see other party members doing or saying things that in your head you're like, no, stop, what are you doing? But your character's like, oh, that sounds awesome, let's do it. Yeah, so, uh, and that is... One of the, and that's I think one of the pitfalls that some people might fall into, as far as if they do have a low intelligence score, they aren't going to be inquisitive. They aren't going to question whether certain things are really as they seem or not. And you know, you're going to take things as face value. Um, that could also maybe mean uh, with these scores, there is still overlap with intelligence and wisdom because we are still going with brain power in one way or another. Um, so maybe intelligence, if you're playing a low intelligence person, they're kind of gullible. Um, or, you know, like kind of those things. You kind of think of those flaws and those descriptive words that would normally associate with someone of a low intelligence, not just that they're dumb and, you know, what, what is, like, in what way? You know, because not, you know, just to call someone dumb is kind of a little one-dimensional. So you kind of want to say, okay, maybe there are certain ways that they can show their intelligence, and, but most of the time, maybe not. Right, like, they might think that there's some topic that they know so much about that they actually have no clue and they're just making things up. I feel like that's how I live my life, though, so... Uh, no, I'm referring to someone who we used to work with who I sat next to. Oh. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, wisdom? So, yeah, wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, so, uh, again, the difference of in these two kind of is know that uh, intelligence is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in fruit salad. Uh, so, a high wisdom... Uh, is someone that has good judgment. Um, they are empathetic, and they have... Now, again, empathy is different from sympathy. Empathy is just being able to know what a person is feeling. Sympathy is caring or not. Uh, so you can say, oh, I have high empathy. I can understand, you know, it's more... It's almost... You could think of it as an emotional intelligence. 
um, you know, being able to understand why a person is feeling a certain way um, or just general awareness. Um, you know, I like to, to call it the, the ability to, you know, like read the room where, uh, you know, if, you know, being able to understand that what's going on is a tense situation and not taking advantage of that or, or you know, so whereas someone with a low wisdom is going to be completely oblivious to things that are going on around them, where if two people are having a fight uh, and they're just like, and you know, interjecting with, oh, hey guys, I made brownies. Right, and I feel like uh, relatively high intelligence and a relatively low wisdom can be one of the most fun things to play. Um, coming from personal experience um, and honestly just knowing people who are very, very smart and have literally no idea what's going on around them. They're too kind of focused, stuck in their own head. And so they have zero situational awareness. Yeah. Um, granted, it doesn't necessarily have to be that drastic, but it's still, in my opinion, a very fun combination. Um, it's one of those, even if things get very serious, a lot of times that can kind of lighten the mood. In a game? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's that's a really good point about how do your ability scores interact with each other. So if you do have a high intelligence, but maybe you don't have a high wisdom, you know, th you can kind of think of the absent-minded professor type character, mm -hmm. where you know they can you know they can solve all sorts of you know mathematical equations and formulas and stuff, but they don't know how to dress themselves or they walk outside the door without pants or you know like something like that where they're just oblivious to the world around them, but they are super smart. Um, and you'd also think that uh, low wisdom people are going to, you know, not think before they leap, you know, so they're going to be, uh, they're, they're foolhardy or they're oblivious to things or they're just going to rush into situations that get them in over their head. Um, and I think that that's real, you know, having someone that has a low or a high wisdom can be really, that's a really good role-playing opportunity. I think wisdom and charisma are the two, uh, the two ability scores that have a lot of flexibility with and a lot of role-playing opportunities. Oh, for sure. I feel like, you know, those are the most flexible, whereas the others are a little bit, I want to say, easier to kind of like uh, I mean to understand how to Yeah, play. it's more straightforward. It's definitely more straightforward whereas most people can understand what it would mean if someone has a low strength score right. versus a high strength score. Um right. you know same with dexterity, same with intelligence. Yeah. Where yeah, but wisdom is more, you know, it's that you know, it's a little bit more intelligent intangible uh and it's a little bit more nuanced than mm -hmm. just dumb or smart you know right and then last last is charisma um so and uh, you know most of the time you can understand what it means to have high charisma so that's high confidence or you know uh some sort of y there is a presence to them um, there is either maybe it's an intimidating presence or ma maybe it's sort of an attractive quality. It's not necessarily physical appearance, although it could be a little bit. Um, 
one way or the other. So if you have high charisma, if you, you know, that's more of like, I think that's like a, a Tony Stark type character where oh they're, sure. they're going to have high confidence or they're going to have, there's just, or they have, you know, they have a way with words maybe. Um, you know, uh, if you think about the characters or the classes that are based around charisma, it's bard and sorcerers and warlocks. And they deal with arcane magic and that's arcane magic has a little bit of a flair to it, especially when you're talking about bards. Um, you know, so they have, there's that, you know, that quality about them that makes them appealing or make, they have a strong personality. We could say that. Right. I feel like a bard is basically just like charisma with, with some other abilities thrown yeah. in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so because there's a, there's stuff's a lot of performance base. Yeah. Um, so specifically like when I think charisma, I just immediately think bard because they're very showy. Yeah, they have a strong personality. They're, they're very confident typically. Yeah. They're they're good entertainers, they're good storytellers. Um, they're very captivating. Uh, whereas if you have maybe like a neutral ability score, like a 10 or an 11 with charisma, maybe you're just that person that blends in that doesn't necessarily want to be the center of attention like someone with a high charisma ability score might want to. Um, so like, m you know, having kind of a middle of the pack charisma score, you're not going to be a leader. You're not going to want to be the center of attention. Um, but then when you get to the lower end, if you have a negative score, you have a really low charisma score, uh, I feel like you can play a high charisma ability and a low charisma ability very similarly. It's just how you kind of approach it. Whereas, you know, maybe when you have that high charisma and you want to be the center of attention, you could just naturally be the center of attention and just naturally captivate and naturally kind of control the conversation. Whereas someone with a low charisma score can still do that, but in a more abrasive way. Right. So they're going to try and butt into conversations. They're going to try and interrupt people. Um, they're going to be the center of attention in a negative way. You know, you can kind of think of it like that kid that's always, you know, kind of that class clown kid that's always interrupting or, you know, trying to make jokes and that kind of thing. Where... Uh, that also kind of, I feel like, ties into wisdom sometimes, too, where you can try and be the class clown in a way where, all right, the whole room is silent. We're taking a test. I'm going to try. I'm going to make a fart noise. And that could either be you have a low wisdom in that I think this is a perfect opportunity to make this rude and appropriate noise. Or you can have a high or a low charisma saying, I just want people to like me. So this is what I'm doing. So, you know, like, you could kind of see how wisdom and charisma could be related. And you could, how, even though you might be on other ends of the spectrum, you could still play it similarly, just with a, a little bit of a twist. Right. And, like, I know a lot of times people are like, oh, well, my character doesn't really want to stand out. Um, they want to kind of blend in, so I'll just go with, like, a low charisma. And it's... With this one, it's tricky because low charisma doesn't mean that you're just going to blend in necessarily. For that, you would want kind of more of a middle of the road because low really means, like, in this case, it's kind of you rub people the wrong way more so than just people don't notice you. Yeah, or, uh, you know, someone with a low charisma might be uh, inarticulate 
or timid or, you know, shy, that kind of thing. And I've had a couple of character, like I actually, when we were making uh, characters for my students when we were playing, uh, there was a character that wanted to be a paladin and they wanted to be a really shy and reserved paladin. And I, you know, I kind of tried to explain them like, well, but so there's a couple of things there. Uh, one is going to be that you're going to want a high charisma score, which means you're not going to be timid. You're not going to be shy. Um, and just naturally paladin, the, the kind of character that would pursue a life as a paladin isn't going to be a timid person. They're going to have a strong personality. They're going to have strong convictions. So you kind of, you can kind of see also why that kind of thing goes hand in hand, where someone with a high charisma, you know, they're just naturally a performer or an artist. So they're going to gravitate towards jobs that are going to have that, you know? That's why most actors and actresses you, you see, they have that high charisma. Um, they have that sort, sort of thing. And if not, then they have a high intelligence or they have a high wisdom to kind of... Uh, offset it. Yeah, offset or, or, or make up for it. Um, so you do have those actors like, you know, um, Robert Downey Jr., Jr. or maybe even like Jason Momoa, who always seems like he has a strong personality, but in a very likable way. But you have those other actors that might have either low charisma or they use that high charisma to be intimidating or to be withdrawn. Um, so there, there's different ways to play the same sort of ability score. Right. And a lot of times, like, yes, there are the ability scores that make the most sense for the race or class that you're playing. Um, but there are times when, you know, you can kind of change it up a little bit and still create a very intricate character that makes sense. Um, that's just not necessarily what you want to do for your first character because you're still kind of learning how to play the game and how to create the characters. But as you, you know, experience more within the game, you know, maybe your second or third campaign, if you want to do something kind of out of left field, you can play with that a little more then. Oh, sure. Or even, you know, there's nothing that says that you can't, your character can't change and develop over time of the campaign. You know, Very if true. you, if you, if you're starting your first campaign and you see that that campaign is lasting for an extended period of time, you know, starting to think about, okay, well, how has this campaign affected your character? How have they grown over time? You know, maybe they did start off being that shy person, um, you know, playing that shy paladin, going back to that example. But then over time, they've kind of come to embrace that leader role that they may have reluctantly been in. Um, or you can also think about, uh, again, kind of going back to Critical Role, using that as an example. Um, Keyleth, uh, the druid played by Marisha Ray, she, had, she did have a high wisdom being a druid, but had not so great intelligence and charisma scores, where she reluctantly had to accept this leadership role. And it was one of those things where through either Marisha playing her character or just either really well or really poorly. You know, a lot of people debate about that. I think that she played it really well because her as a character might want to be a good leader, but just she wasn't there yet. And just because you try something once 
and you realize that you're not good at it doesn't mean that you should stop doing it. You need to maybe go back to it and say, okay, you know, part of my journey and part of my character development is I need to learn how to be this leader so that at the beginning she took um, definitely a more reserved role and more of a supporting role where by the end of it she was definitely one of the leaders and she and maybe even just that the sense that she was the moral leader and the moral compass uh, compared to the actual here's what we're going to do guys right and one of the the really cool things about this game is as your character grows and levels up, you are able to um, like add to your ability scores. So mm -hmm. your character keeps developing as the game goes on, both like story-wise and also, you know, their abilities, their skills, um, you know, what they're actually able to do. It continues to develop like any person is going to do. So in that sense, you know, maybe your character does start off with low charisma. They're a little bit more shy. As the game progresses, you can, you know, keep adding to that ability score as the character kind of becomes more confident, more charismatic. Yeah, or, you know, even just, okay, so maybe you do have that low charisma score and you're going to keep the low charisma score, you could figure out a way to compensate for that maybe by, um, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to use my intelligence and I'm going to rely on my intelligence and my, you know, my, my wit and my sarcasm uh, with either an intelligent or a wise character. Um, you know, I feel like maybe having a high, you know, I also, I always try and kind of classify what maybe either certain characters, whether they're from a book or a movie or a TV show, or whatever the case may be, um, what ability scores does that person have? Where would they fall into? Or, you know, you could even use it with like, maybe even like the Hogwarts classes. Um, whereas someone with a, you know, someone, in a, someone that's a Ravenclaw, is going to probably have a high intelligence, right, right off the bat. And, you know, they're usually fairly snarky characters, um, and you can either play that as saying, I have a high charisma, so I'm smarter than you and I know it. Or you can have, say, a low charisma and say, I'm smarter than you, and this is how I show it, and I don't understand that what I'm doing is coming off as abrasive. Which, you know? in that case, they'd probably... In that case, I feel like their wisdom would be probably middle of the road if they don't necessarily realize that they're being... Well, well, and then, abusive. you know, then, it, then the question becomes, okay, are they... Is it apathy? Do they not care that, they, that right. they're coming off as abrasive? Or, and are they maybe using that as a, you know, I'm going to put people off. I know that I have this personality, this strong personality that rubs people the wrong way, and I'm going to use it to try and get what I want because... True. You know, and I know a few people that, that do that, whether knowingly or not. Um, or there is also the, instead of apathy, it's ignorance is, okay, am I doing these things because I don't know any better? Um, you know, these are the kind of questions that you can kind of ask yourself when you're coming up with the character. And, you know, there's, it's, there's an e re really easy answer a lot of times when you're thinking, oh, what is... What would my character do? What what is what are they going to do in this situation? And most of the time, if you know, you kind of play that, you know, 
when we're kind of getting into alignment too, it goes into it where when you're saying, okay, with that chaotic neutral character, chaotic neutral character is basically going to do either whatever they want or whatever best serves their own needs. But then beyond that, you know, a, a lot of decisions in D&D aren't black or white. There's all sorts of gray area. There's... Just Mul- like in life. Yeah, there's multitudes of shades of gray, not just 50 of them, uh, where you can s- handle a decision by one or two ways. But even beyond that, how you take that step is even a more important decision than just taking a step or not. Definitely. And I feel like just understanding what high and low ability scores really mean for each ability helps you figure out how to play your character so much because I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily understand it. And so when role-playing, they just kind of ignore it um, or they think they know what it means, but they don't. And so the way they're playing their character doesn't really make sense. Yeah, and that's you know, uh, you know something like alignment, for example. Uh, alignment used to be a lot more important in earlier editions, like three point five, uh, when we did it. You know, that's like one of that's a big thing that's going to dictate how your character is going to react to certain situations and that kind of thing. Whereas it's still important, especially when we're talking about decisions and um, you know motivations and that kind of thing. But you don't necessarily need it to rely on it. And I feel like a lot of times what one person's definition of an alignment, it could mean something completely different to another person. You know, there are a lot of alignment charts that give examples of certain things. So like, you know, a lawful good character, they you can think of them as, uh, you know, a lot of paladins are lawful good. They are that, you know, knight in shining armor uh, archetype. You know, uh, I, again, especially when I'm explaining it to my kids and I use like Marvel characters and that kind of thing, um, feel like for most of his timeline, Steve Rogers would be that lawful good character where he does, he does the right thing because it's the right thing to do, not necessarily because uh, it's going to help him out in some way or, you know, it's going to get him what he wants. He does the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Um, it's a very also uh, you know Confucius way to think about the world. Uh, I definitely, um, I feel like some people play as if there are no alignments, and mm-hmm. some people kind of change their mind as the game goes on. Uh, which, depending on how you do that, can either work or be a mess. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it, it's kind of going back to how you're going to actually play your character and the development that they go through, where they could start off being good, and then certain things happen to them along the way, where that, you know, again, maybe if we're talking about Steve Rogers, that lawful good, where around Civil War, he's not very lawful because he's going against those accords. So that goes shifts more into maybe like a neutral good slash chaotic good character. Um, where certain things in the campaign could happen to maybe nudge you back out of, you know, one way or another. But I feel like when you go from, like, say, lawful good to maybe neutral good, it makes a little more sense 
Whereas if you're going from like lawful good to just straight up chaotic, yeah, um, a lot of times it's that's the situation where you need to take a step back and think, okay, am I really playing this character in a way that makes sense? Right, and that's a lot of people. <laughs> it's I think it's a, uh, something that a lot of people kind of fall into where most people, especially. Uh, most people want to, they, they just end up playing chaotic neutral characters, which is just, we're going to do whatever we want. And you, that's a very slippery slope because most chaotic neutral characters, at the end of the day, are actually, they do have some sort of redeeming quality to them. Whereas I think most chaotic neutral people, they, most people that play chaotic neutral, play them like you're playing you know, Grand Theft Auto with cheats on, where, or, you know, like where you're just going around killing whatever you want and being murder hobos. Um, and that whole murder hobo, you know, life that a lot of players fall into. Um, it, I, it just happens, you know. I feel like I'm one of the only players who's like, I hate playing with murder hobos. But at the end of the day, like, every once in a while we have our, like, everyone's going to have their murder hobo moments to an extent. Oh, yeah, sure. But when every character you play in every campaign always just wants to find people to kill because they want to find people to kill, it stops being fun. Yeah. Um, and, again, mo you know, like, for example, usually when you look at examples that most people will throw out as for like a chaotic neutral character, you're thinking like Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean or Deadpool. Um, but, you know, th and where it's more of like they go back and forth where they can, they'll more go and lean towards one way or the other. You know, there are some things that Jack Sparrow does that are more chaotic good than anything else. Or even there are some times where he does lawful good things. Um, but it's more of, you know, overall, what is the character doing? What interests do they serve? And that's where you get those more of when you figure out your ideals, your bonds, your flaws, your fears, your goals, you know, that kind of thing. I feel like once you come up with those things, then you say, okay, I'm going to put all these things together, and now I'm going to look at my character and see where they lie as far as the alignment goes, are they a neutral character? Are they a lawful character? Are they chaotic? Are they good? Are they evil? You know, where it's more as if you choose your alignment from the get-go, it's going to limit yourself a little bit more as far as what your flaws and ideals and goals might be. Right, and I feel like, I don't want to say that, you know, chaotic or neutral characters aren't fun. If your character is kind of meant to be that chaotic or that neutral character based on, you know, the, the backstory, the abilities, um, you know, their flaws, all of that stuff. If it makes sense, then definitely do it. Um, I mean, we played with someone who, like, it, the way his character was, it just, it made sense for him to be chaotic neutral. But if everyone's like, oh, well, I just want to be here to fuck shit up, too. Um, it's, it kind of goes against the character that you just built a lot of times. Yeah, so, for example, um, you know, when we first started playing, when I had my uh, wizard necromancer, 
uh, uh, Gracie, um, I decided that he was going to be Keanu Neutral number one because right off the bat, as it explained a couple of different times in the player's handbook and things, uh, necromancers, dealing with necromantic energy, bringing things back from the dead, that whole thing kind of predisposes you to not be good. So I'm saying, okay, right off the bat, I know I'm probably not going to be good. Um, and it's also most of the time against the law. <laughs> so typically. typically, you're not supposed to bring things back from the dead. You can ask Dr. Frankenstein about that. Um, so we're saying, okay, so not necessarily going to be lawful neutral. So it's at the very least against the laws of nature. Right. And you can kind of say, okay, m the motivation that this character had for most of the time was that he was going, he was protecting his home, his, uh, the haunted mansion, protecting his home and protecting, you know, he had very strong ties to his mother and that kind of thing. Um, so it's more of what he's doing and his motivation is to serve the interests of his home and anybody that lives there. So anybody that's going to go against that is going to be in his way, whether it's a good character or a bad character. And there could be times where bad characters you know, or evil characters could maybe have certain goals and objectives that come in line with his goals and objectives. So as a, as a neutral character and as a chaotic character, he's going to, he could potentially align himself with evil characters that might be serving in his interests as well. Whereas if you are a lawful good paladin, upstanding and everything, even if you meet an evil character that is going to have uh, goals that are in line with your own, you still on principle would not align with them. And that's kind of that difference between a good character or a lawful character versus a, a neutral or an evil character, I feel at least. I definitely agree. Um and I feel like a lot of times people will either like just look at like good, neutral, or evil, or they'll just look at like lawful or chaotic, and they they don't really necessarily pay attention to both um, because people don't necessarily know how to play both. So I mean, you can have a chaotic good character who like they they mean well. They're just like they could be very scatterbrained or you know, very impulsive. Yeah, or, so. you know, it's just that their convictions and their ideals don't line up with the world that they live in. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you can say a lawful character is going to abide by the law, whether it's good or bad. You know, it's you don't necessarily agree with it. And if you agree with mo more bad laws, and, you know, that's more of that uh, lawful evil character. So if we're talking about pop culture and stuff, you know, Darth Vader is your lawful evil character because he is associated with the Empire. He is associated with a tyrannical government. So he is abiding by laws and he is an evil character that will do evil stuff. So he's a lawful evil character. Whereas, you know, a character that is going to be good but maybe not necessarily follow the laws. So, for example, maybe even like a bat, you know, Batman is a perfect example, I think, of chaotic good. Where he is a vigilante. So, right off the bat, vigilantes do not follow the law. They do not work it within the confines of the law. So, they are unlawful. Uh, but just because he's being unlawful doesn't mean that he is being a bad person, necessarily. 
So that's more of that lawful, you know, that, that chaotic good. And once you get into playing the character, I mean, it, you can definitely figure out what makes the most sense for your character. Really, at the end of the day, you want to be true to the character that you created. Yeah, and my advice is that you, as much fun as everybody wants to believe that playing characters like Deadpool and, you know, like the Joker and everybody, you know, two of the most popular characters, especially right now, and, you know, when we're talking about, you know, cosplaying and that kind of thing, you know, there are 20 different variations of Deadpool and 30 different variations of Joker now and that kind of thing. So everybody wants to play those chaotic neutral and chaotic evil characters and that kind of thing. But, you know, when you have too many of that, especially in a group setting like this, it gets really old really quickly. And there is a, there is a character that I play with at school where he, he plays his chaotic neutral character literally like I will do whatever I want. And most of the time, whatever he wants to do is not, is just cause chaos. And in a group teamwork setting like this, it is, as a DM, you kind of want to try and hinder that as much as you can. Um, as much fun as it sounds like it, it's more of a one-off thing. It's you, ha you know, leave that for when you're playing that RPG by yourself so that you can cause chaos by yourself. When you're causing chaos that's impacting other people, you're being chaotic neutral as a person and right. as a player, not as a character. So if you are going to choose that chaotic neutral character, you need to be very mindful that what you're doing isn't... It could piss off your characters to an extent, but don't let it happen where it's pissing off your players because there's that big difference where it's okay to have a foil and it's okay to have that person that's kind of pushing the boundaries in, in the game. That could be very entertaining and it could make for some great storytelling. But if you as a care, as a player are being that person and taking it too far and you don't know when to stop and it's your players are getting really frustrated at you, either you as a player need to kind of take a step, step back and see what you're doing or that's when... DMs need to kind of step up and be that person to kind of come in and say, hey, you know, kind of acting like a dick here. Right, because those are the situations that either keep you from getting invited back for the next campaign or cause the people you play with to stop coming yeah. because they don't want to deal with, let's just go and kill everyone we meet because it's fun, because eventually it's not. Eventually, you're like, okay, there's an actual story here. Can we maybe possibly get back to that at some point? Right, and it also starts to come in where you are taking control of the campaign. And the whole thing is that it's a group effort. It's not one person and everybody else is, you know, uh, supporting characters. Where we don't want to spend the whole campaign trying to figure out all the different ways that we have to break you out of jail which ends up happening inevitably with this character. He keeps going too far until he gets arrested. And then it's saying, okay, now we have to deal with this for the 12th time. And it gets old where they, you know, most, a lot of times the, the players are like, in, in, we're just going to leave him there. You know, it's happened a couple of times where we're just like, screw it. We don't care. Let him get locked up again. And, you know, you don't really want to see that in a game because one, it's going to, really take away from everybody's uh, enjoyment of the game. And 
you know, really you just you it, it's it's fun for like that first five minutes and as it's happening. But once you know that you have to deal with the consequences of it, that's when you're saying, okay, maybe I, maybe I can cut it out now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, and again, just be true to the character you created. Don't just, don't be a chaotic, neutral person to yeah. get a laugh. Yeah. And, and that's, really you know, play your character the way that you created your character. I mean, if they grow and change over time, that's great. That's That makes sense. But don't just create this backstory and this character and then throw all of that out the window because you decide, that's boring. I want to do this instead. That's the complete opposite. Yeah, and, you know, if you created that char- chaotic neutral character and you're kind of saying, oh, well, you know, my character would do this because they're chaotic neutral, and that's that's just the end of it. Take a step back and say, okay, well, you're the person that created this character. You know, you can say, oh, well, but that's what my character would do. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're the one that created your character to do that. So maybe take a step back and say, maybe this is a time for my character to start growing. You know, uh, if, for example, if Jack Sparrow stayed the way he was at the very beginning of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, all throughout the next four or five, however many I don't Pirates know movies they are. made, um, you know, it would get very one-dimensional. It's a not it's not a very exciting character. You know, it's the same thing with Deadpool. He didn't stay the way that he was at the very beginning of the first movie, all throughout that movie, and all throughout the second movie. He did. Al- he's done a lot of character advancement since then. Um, so, t- you know, if you're going to take those characters as examples of how you want your character to be, by all means, go for it. But just understand that you are going to have to have them grow up, for lack of a better term, at some point. For sure. Um, any other tips we want to throw out there? Um. That's about it as far as my rants go about chaotic neutral characters, even though I've played several of them. (laughs) I mean, it's not that I'm anti-chaotic neutral character. It's just be smart about how you play them. Yeah, you know, you really have to, if you're going to be that character, you really have to, you know, show up as far as your acting skills go. And if you... If you are going to play that chaotic neutral character that does whatever they want, you better make darn sure that everybody else is on board too. Uh, And they're okay with going along with your crazy scheme. Yep, basically. Just be be holding. When in doubt, be holding. All right. Well, I think that's all we have for today. I'm not sure what we'll be talking about next time. I think so. All right. Well... It's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. Uh, We'll see you guys next time. Stay holding.